0: Welcome to the Flex Podcast. In the spring of the
1: I'm Brittany Lobas.
0: I am James Cohn, and it is episode 200 of this program. Wow, two zero zero. We were supposed to have Hana with us today. Uh, we did not kick her off the show. She is too ill to record without coughing every 20 seconds. She, tried, she really tried to yeah. power through it, but
1: still bronchitis
2: her. is no joke.
0: She's we delayed here. this for as long as we could, trying to include her. This is not us elbowing her off the microphone, I promise. Um, the four of us, including Hana, record this show every two weeks in different formations. Uh, it's been going for a long time now. Do you remember the first episode? First episode was best of 2015. I made you watch the movie Felt. Yeah. Uh, which you did not like that much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and then uh, we did a very quick countdown of our best of the year. Uh, much shorter than our best of the years are now because they've kind of spiraled out. These are gargantuan marathon recordings. And I do think we've honed in a
2: little bit like i th- remember the evil doll episode that you did with Brittany. that was
0: the first one Brittany and i and you were all on was talking about evil dolls and we tried to talk about every evil doll movie
2: yeah ever. right <laughs> we've narrowed the scope a little bit
1: because <laughs> we i remember like my memory is kind of fuzzy just because it's my problem but we used to cram fucking like sometimes what, 10 movies where we'd have like a theme and be like, we're going to watch every movie that applies to this theme. And then our, I think our format changed like what, maybe two, three times a little bit.
0: The way it is now we like talk about what we've been watching lately separately. Then we talk about one movie and then two or three other movies that are on the same theme as that. one. I
2: I think back then it was like, If you have the time to watch every evil doll movie, (laughs) go for it. But if not, that's fine. Right. (laughs) And so there was a lot of like people talking about movies that the other people hadn't seen. I feel like we've really gotten better over time.
0: Even then the main topic film was like not thematically linked to the other topic either. Like we would do like... Every evil doll movie ever, and then also Boxing Helena, which is not technically an evil (laughs) doll film, you know? Mm. Like it was like kind of a disjointed recording. Uh, it used to be on a computer microphone that was on a stand that I made out of a Mardi Gras plastic cup. I remember that. (laughs) And we would just record the entire room and try to point our voices at its general direction.
2: I've listened to some older episodes and the sound quality is where I
0: think it's most improved. Good. <laughs> over- yeah, good. I would hope so. Do you worry that our like quality of criticism has declined recently? I do.
1: Like what you mean? Like
0: I feel like early episodes I had these very clear thoughts and very like calmly presented them. Oh. And something since post-COVID. I don't know if it's just because we're all in the same room, so like we're all kind of talking over each other a little more. Oh, you're right. Or if it's because being inside for two years and getting like a disease that like attacks your nervous system and brain uh made me dumber but i feel like i've become more of like a rabid animal on the microphone I lo- but really? i think that's like natural <laughs> yeah
1: you know like that's another thing too we went through covid with this thing right where we like skyped it oh yeah for like wild. what uh, almost a whole I year or those, something james's least episodes. favorite era. because
2: <laughs>
0: really
1: well, it involved that big like tech aspect and of course nothing ever lined up and worked perfectly
0: yeah That worked out, though, because now um, I got very bored during that time, as everyone did, and I started a second podcast, which is the Lanyap episodes. Yes. Which, if you look in your feed, there's probably closer to 300 episodes in the feed now, because we've started a whole second wing. Yeah. Okay, cool. We're expanding still, doing new things all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like my criticisms have gotten less... uh, Like, I'm not as black and white with stuff as I used to be, like... I'm just willing to be swayed. I, it's, I guess it's like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything at all, yeah. kind of deal. And like, so I'm actually more open minded when it comes to other people's opinions. Which is a good thing, I think.
1: And I think we've also moved in the direction of we do this because we enjoy it and it's fun. And we have more fun with it. So it's like more of a conversation than like, a here's my research project and let me tell you all the stuff I found and like my solid opinion on it, you know? It's been a while since
0: I've scoured the like IMDB trivia section and the like Wikipedia uh, backstories on every single thing we watch trying to find like factoids to inform the public on not my job you know <laughs> <laughs> that's no. not what we're here for <laughs> we're just friends who like to talk about movies
1: you know yes
0: yeah let's get into the normal format then what What have y'all been watching
2: lately uh so i work for me has been very rough uh november and december in the wine industry oh, is God. uh brutal you're in the party business the party yeah <laughs> and people are doing a lot of parties a lot of you know Family activities, and I finally was able to take a Friday off. So I I picked uh, a 10.30 showing of Priscilla because I really wanted to see it. And uh, I got to the theater. I was the only person in there. The movie's about to start. I turned my phone off. Complete bliss. I'm like, yes, I'm ready. And then in walk, three women in their mid-60s. Obviously, it was like a girl's day out. And they're already kind of talking as they're going into the theater. And they sit directly behind me. Oh, my God. Two rows. And the film starts. And the the first frame is like Priscilla painting her toenails on this pink shag rug. And they start immediately like, oh, my God, pink shag. I had a rug just (laughs) like that. And as the movie's going on, it's constant. It's just like Humphrey Bogart. Oh, my God. He was the... It was like reminiscing about cause they're older and they had probably lived through some of this stuff. And it was like
0: me, ma theater 3000, like yeah, live talking, commentary.
2: And I like, I tried so I hard. That. <laughs> I tried so hard to tune it out, but about 30 minutes in, I just broke. And I was like, no, I can't. And i like for the second time I walked out of a movie in my entire life. And uh, it was a bummer because I was really into it, but the constant running commentary about, oh, I I love that song. And, you know, oh, she's so pretty. And, oh, th- I had a dress like that. It was kind of sweet that these older women were sort of nostalgic about this. But I also was like, just wanted to watch this right. alone and be absorbed into the film. They can and
1: go do that at their house when it comes out on dvd and i
2: felt like an asshole like i was getting mad i was like you know what let me just let me just walk out
0: also technically you're on their territory because like 10 a.m screenings on a weekday (laughs) i know That's my time it (laughs) is that's their turf (laughs) it is so i let them
2: i let them have it but i feel bummed because uh it was really good and i know you saw it
0: yeah i really loved it yeah and also there was a man sitting next to me who had a uh rouse's bag full of different snacks and <laughs> oh, throughout the why? entire screening pulled them out of the plastic bag one at a time and they were each in their own little plastic bag <laughs> yeah so constant crinkling Layers the entire plastic. movie really <laughs> yeah so oh, something man. about the priscilla screenings are bringing out the the annoying co-audience you know
2: yeah i i, I don't know i want to go back and see it but um it wasn't playing at broad anymore and I was like, oh, i gotta trek back out to elmwood yeah it's great. I mean, I so definitely recommend it. See
1: a late night screening of it for sure to yeah. make sure it's past everyone's bedtime.
2: Yeah, I think I was just so in my like comfort zone because it's like a day off early in the morning. I got the cinema
0: all to myself. All to
2: myself. And then I the three biddies walk in. What a and, bummer. Uh, so that was sort of a bummer. Outside of that, I had, like I said, work has been really busy, so I haven't been able to watch a whole lot of stuff. But one thing I did rewatch the other night was a classic movie we all know, Silence of the Lambs, which swept the Oscar. It won everything. I think Best Actor, Actress, Director, uh, Best Picture. And watching it again, what really was so surprising to me is how kind of a B-movie schlock it is. Like everyone's sort of overacting and the music is really over the top. And it's like, elevated B movie crap to like for like Oscar bait. And I really, really loved it for that. Oh yeah. Like that. that's what I always knew. It was like this prestigious movie that won a bunch of Oscars and Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster, are such great actors, but I didn't realize like how sort of B movie it is. And uh, learning that like Jonathan Demme, I think worked with Roger Corman
0: yeah, he made a bunch of like women in prison movies. Women in
2: prison. Then it like kind of clicked like, oh, he's doing that. But for the Oscar bait crowd. And um, it, it really was more um, delightful than I'd remember.
0: I guess what he brings to it is like he's very kind to his characters. Mm. So like, I don't know, the victims of that aren't really like disposed of quickly and like tossed aside. Like he like puts a lot of care into especially Jodie Foster's character and like the women who are abducted and tortured. Yeah. Like that's his like crowd friendly touch. Uh it's not like a mean B picture really. Unless you're trans. I guess a lot of trans people have uh that you know, I could see how that pulled was aside the Buffalo Bill thing is something that has not aged well, which made sense. But I thought bu-
2: Buffalo Bill like the scene with uh um I've been listening to that what's it Goodbye Horses oh, Lazarus. Like, yeah. yeah. Great song. <laughs> Great song. I've been just listening to it in my car ever since and just it slaps. So hard, but like he's, I mean, his like earrings and tats, and he's pretty fabulous. Um, but I, I get how it's problematic for the yeah. trans community. But
1: he reminded me of like Stevie Nicks if Stevie Nicks was a serial killer, like the whole vibe, like the,
0: <laughs> the see through, like chiffon,
2: robe. yeah, like
1: all the chiffon stuff, <laughs> yeah, then the slow dancing,
2: yeah. And and I will say the climax where they're in the dark with the oh. night vision goggles is. Pretty iconic. Like, yeah. Like, wow, that's some scary shit. So I don't know. I, re- I really enjoyed revisiting it and kind of having a deeper appreciation for what it really is. So anyway, uh, Brittany, what about you? What have you been watching?
1: I, like you, like work has been taking over my life. Ugh. So it's like whenever I get home, I'll put something on and then like I just slowly start drifting away. But like not because the movie's boring. I'm just so tired. Distracted. And if I sit there... And I get, like, distracted. I'm like, it's almost like I get hypnotized. But I did watch Sea of Love with Al Pacino. Um, mm. It's, like, from 1989. And he's a cop. And there's sort of this killer. And it's, um, uh, what is it called? Like, the not lonely hearts but the the ads you put in the paper yeah the
0: lonely hearts killer right? yes yeah, yeah. it was like a lonely
1: hearts mm-hmm. killer st- type thing happening What's the, the
0: heartbreak killers is that the movie we
1: oh the honeymoon killers. The Honeymoon killers. yes yeah. um such a good movie yeah <laughs> this was good too and it's i think ellen barkin is uh the female character who like he puts an ad out to like ca- like sort of bait whoever it is that's because they're assuming like it's got to be the person putting these ads out because it's all the the men who are dying are the ones answering them so she ends up being the person putting the ad and he falls for her and they like have this really weird um like you could tell he's very into her but he's also terrified of her at the same time because he's pretty sure that she's the killer and she's like trusting him and she finds out he's a cop but she's not picking up that he's like Undercover to try and catch her for what she's doing, and there's like a lot of like you, you'll you'll think like oh it's not her like there's enough evidence that it's not her, and then he'll find something in her apartment that's like holy fuck it's probably her, <laughs> and then you kind of go back and you're like but is it her? And then I, there's a, a very cool um reveal in the end where like I didn't see it coming, but yeah it's just a really good like that sort of late eighties early nineties New York City like rainy day um cop thriller. Doesn't sound that dissimilar from
0: Silence of the Lambs, right? Like that was like uh, a yeah. psychological thriller where you're like tracking down a killer based on like the patterns in their kills and like their motivations behind them. That was a whole genre.
1: Yeah, this this would fall into it for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a Sea of Love and um it's called that because the song like the song plays when a mm. lot of them die.
2: Yeah, mm. a lot of that feels like a precursor to the true crime genre that mm, came about yeah. in the 2000s. Our obsession with killers and their motives.
0: A lot of people try to take the like big win away from like horror nerds for Silence of the Lambs. We're like, it's not actually a horror movie. It's more of a thriller. That's kind of a boring distinction to draw in the, the sand, you know? Like that movie's got a whole like serial killer vibe to it.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, gets under your skin, creepy. Yeah, I think it's a horror,
0: but it's still yeah that that true crime obsession is kind of what makes it more palatable to most people because people love reading those like paperback thrillers like tracking that stuff or uh, yeah now the documentaries are more of like an obsession for people yeah or, like the Dahmer show and all right.
1: that. yeah it's like we moved from having like these sort of true crime like movies to like mini series or just straight up like documentaries like when's the last time you saw like a movie that was like true crime like that you know that was like newer I was trying to think of that and I couldn't really think of any
0: the first one that comes to mind is from last year. It's like this like Iranian movie about this serial killer who was like killing sex workers. And then when they catch him, it's like he's celebrated by the public. Like he was like cleaning the streets of filth. Uh, and wow. you know, the movie kind of like digging into like the cultural misogyny of that. It was from the director of Border.
1: Oh, Border. Mm-hmm. And I'm
0: trying to remember the name of it. It was like something spider. Holy spider. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was good. That
1: sounds interesting. But it was
0: like kind of like how erotic thrillers, like most of them, are made in Europe now and not in America. Uh, it was like kind of like a chic Euro take on like an older American genre that's kind of been abandoned by Hollywood. You know?
2: Yeah, I mean the American version of that is the Netflix documentary, exactly.
0: The Making a Murderer and all those help. I'm trapped in a cult. You know? Yeah. <laughs> whatever those yeah. are called.
1: I think that like the true crime communities change though, where like people are more into, like, not the story and, like, the ending of it, but, like, I want details, and it's a little sick. Yeah, definitely. And I
2: think, too, it's taken on another version where they actually want to, like, solve the crimes. If you go online at, like, all these true crime unsolved mysteries, there's all these threads of, like, I saw this clue, and... That's what's gonna crack the case, and like they're playing armchair detective, also in a really weird way,
0: giving them brainworms to where they feel like they're gonna be the victim of the crime. Like they have all those women on TikTok now who are like, if you drop your keys in the parking lot, don't pick them up. That's how they the killer gets you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm slipping into Wendy Williams again. She always talks about the killer uh, as like a a figure that's always. Her. <laughs> I've been
1: speaking of like TikTok. I've just been getting a lot of Wendy Williams clips lately. <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do yeah. with this. <laughs> But yeah, that's really the only like film that I watched that was very memorable. That I'm like, oh, I enjoyed it. I would watch it again. And it's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. So, great. Um, so, what have you been watching, Brandon?
0: Well, I have been trying to catch up with like best of the year stuff. So, I should probably tell you all about like prestigious dramas. But instead, I'm going to talk about this movie from the 90s that I watched because um, I'm also Sex and the City obsessed still uh, <laughs> since our most recent <laughs> episode on that. I watched this movie called Honeymoon in Vegas. From 1992 with uh, Nicholas Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker. I, uh, yeah.
2: You know, I recently went to that big uh, book sale, book DVD sale on Kenner, and I bought that. Great purchase. Oh, you know, the you Jefferson Parish
1: Library one.
2: All I saw was Nick Cage and Elvis, and I'm like, therefore, that's it.
0: So that was an excellent purchase because currently the only way that you can watch it at home, if you don't own a copy, is to pay $14 to quote unquote digitally own it. Um, I also shit. bought a used copy at a really? you like, can't second even rent hand it? store recently. No, you, no rentals at all. It's crazy. It is not worth a fifteen dollar digital purchase. But if you can find a secondhand copy at like a thrift store or something, definitely worth wow. picking up. If you're a fan of Nick Cage, who is a huge fan of Elvis. So like this movie culminates in Nick Cage jumping out of an airplane in an Elvis um, yeah. costume, uh, part of the flying Elvis' Elvis Impersonator troupe who Do skydiving tricks dressed as Elvis? They were formed for the movie, they were not a real thing. Like, the movie like, made up this novelty stunt um, for its climax, and since then, the skydiving team involved um, has like trained other people to do it. So, there's been what? like since the 90s, like now, what, like 30 years of flying Elvi because of Honeymoon of in Vegas? It's <laughs> a weird plot, wild. It's basically. Indecent Proposal, but it came out years before Indecent Proposal. Nicholas Cage is afraid of marriage and is in love with Sarah Jessica Parker. And to trick himself to get past his fear, he's like, let's just get married very quickly. Let's go to Vegas and get it over with. So I'm not thinking about it too much. Um, and once they get there, James Caan plays this like high-rolling gangster who um, basically buys his fiance in a card game. Like basically wins Sarah Jessica Parker's hand in marriage over a rigged game of poker and the whole movie is just nick cage trailing behind them trying to ruin their like date where james Conn is wooing sarah jessica parker away from her and getting increasingly angry and upset which is funny like every time nick cage yells it's funny Um, and the movie tries to milk some like good comedy out of that for sex in the city obsessives there's only one scene that's like anywhere close to the show it's like um sarah jessica parker freaking out that like he took her to Vegas and made her into a whore, which is a line that she yells over and over and over again. And it feels very Carrie Bradshaw. I was going
1: to say, it sounds like something Carrie would say to big,
0: <laughs> but mostly it's interesting just for, um, you know, Nick Cage is obsessed with Elvis. He, um, in wilded heart basically did an Elvis impersonation right. like, for the entire mm-hmm. movie. Um, he owns a bunch of Elvis memorabilia. Uh, he did an Elvis impersonation in costume on SNL, uh, the year he hosted that. And then also he married Elvis's daughter in the 2000s. <laughs> he did.
1: I wonder what he feels about Priscilla and what his film, his um, movie theater experience has been like.
0: Mm. I was actually thinking about Priscilla watching this too, because I, I guess I watched them the same week. And I don't really watch or listen to Elvis very much. So, you know.
1: That whole, the Elvis, like, fandom is wild. Wild.
0: This is what's weird to me. So the Flying Elvis is Vegas's skydiving Elvis impersonation team, right? New Orleans has its own version of that, which is the Rolling, the Rolling Elbi, Elbi, who are a Mardi Gras crew who like basically roll around the quarter on scooters in Elvis costumes. They hosted a screening of Priscilla at the Britannia in Elvis costumes, like celebrating the release of the movie. I, I believe it was a private event, but there's all these like promotional pictures of them as Elvis on this like red carpet in front of the Britannia Uptown. Can you imagine being in that room, like settling in to watch like a Sofia Coppola movie where Elvis is like an abuser, and the movie's like about boredom and isolation, and like it's like really sad.
1: And you're dressed, and like you're a- dressed as Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, can picture like,
2: it. <laughs> like I said I I had to leave like 30 minutes into the movie, but just the courting phase of like she's in ninth grade. Yeah, he purchases her. Pretty man asks her dad, and the dad's like, "Oh yeah, you know, as long as you bring her back by 10 o'clock." And it's like incredibly creepy yeah yeah I can't imagine being dressed
0: as Elvis <laughs> watching,
1: watching that
0: play that. <laughs> out
1: at an event that's like celebrating Elvis yeah wild
0: I think um you'll have fun watching this movie it's not very good it's like a it's like a kind of throwaway rom-com but if you're a fan of Nick Cage and of Sarah Jessica Parker like well,
2: what well I am a fan of Nick Cage and I am kind of an Elvis fan yeah um not so much for the music or anything like it. Just more for what he stands for and as kind of the American mythology of Elvis, I find fascinating. Uh, and you haven't
0: watched the Bos Lerman movie yet? No, weird. <laughs> That's like what that movie's about. <laughs> yeah, no, and I I should
2: probably do a double feature. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no, I I I do own
0: it, and I plan on watching. One thing to, that uh, Nathan Rabin pointed out to me when I said I was watching this, he said that uh, Bruno Mars is the child Elvis impersonator in the film. What? And I did not know that when I watched it. Uh, really? So keep an eye out for tiny Bruno Mars in the wow, Elvis movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice little factoid. Well, like I said, uh, Hannah's not here. She, she did pick a movie for this topic. Uh, our normal format is that we'll talk about any movie. It doesn't matter who's seen it before as long as it has not been covered on the podcast before. We try not to like double dip, you know? And that was tough for me. Because I have been on every episode of the show, <laughs> so I had to pick one that I did not get to talk about. So I kind of stretched the rules a little bit. Um, Hannah picked the most recent movie that was discussed in the show, which was Jacob's Ladder. Mm-hmm. Did anybody watch that before? Mm-hmm. That I've seen it before. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it. It's like been a, a few, times. few years. It's a very good movie. Yeah, it is very I was good. Not upset that I watched it for no reason. It was just like, oh yeah, great film. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, I'd forgotten that I bought it on Blu-ray since the last time I watched it. So oh it was my nice God. to like have a reason to justify that purchase. But uh, we're going to do a more streamlined. We're going to do one movie apiece between the three of us. Movies that have been discussed in the first 199 episodes of the show. <laughs> with new takes from people who were not around to discuss them the first time. Mm-hmm. And all that's coming up to you right, right. now.
3: Dolomite is my name. <laughs> and rapping and tapping is my game. Right. I'm the one that killed Monday and whooped Tuesday and put Wiz in the hospital. <laughs> called up thursday to tell friday not to burst saturday on sunday stuck my finger in the ground and turned the whole world around him went up in a jug and beat the hell out of him with a club i took the day and brought back yesterday took the fourth of july and put it in june and made leap gear jump over the moon Mules has kicked me, they didn't bruise my heart. The rattlesnakes bit me, they just crawled off and died. <laughs> I picked up the rock that killed the giant liar and whooped Nero's ass for that robo fight. <laughs> I ain't lying, baby. Y'all know, y'all have seen me and heard me rap with Big Daddy Kane, 2 Live Crew. Easy, Ian, you heard me do these nuts on Dr. Dre's album. But let me tell you, all those young men are rapping good, but when it comes down to rapping, I was through with it before they learned what to do with it.
0: There are a few reasons why we wouldn't have been around to cover something. Hannah's pick was from the Lanyap episodes. Uh, my pick was from y'all's best of the year lists. Mm-hmm. From 2019, uh, Dolomite is my name. Uh, I think it was both on you and Hannah's best of the year list that year. Yeah, I think it was in my top
2: 10 and I think maybe in her top
0: 20. No, y'all had it in the exact same position, I'm pretty sure. Really? That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and good. <laughs> that happens a lot. There's like one or two movies that like hit the exact same spot. Yeah, well, we, you know, we watch a lot of movies together. together yeah. <laughs>
1: Similar taste.
0: And I usually try to catch up with everyone's favorite movies of the year. And for some reason, this one slipped by me. And I guess I picked it out of all the movies from those episodes because it reminded me somewhat of our like movie-watching friendships together. One of the first movies I lent to Britney on DVD when we worked together. pre Flicks, we used to trade DVDs at work all yeah. the time. <laughs> Old school style. I lent you the Human Tornado, which is a Dolomite sequel.
1: Blew me away, <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally.
0: <laughs> and uh, when James and I lived together as roommates, we watched a lot of black exploitation films. Like we did. I used to go to the Walmart DVD bins and just buy like armfuls of like forty urban action classics, quote unquote, <laughs> like crammed onto two DVDs. Yeah, not even like Shaft. It was like the deep cuts, right? Black Samson and Black, like, Sam- the, yeah, the black Gestapo. Uh, Blackenstein, which actually gets a shout out and Dolomite Is My Name. Mm-hmm. Not a very good movie. Uh, there's a scene in this movie where everyone's begging to go to different films and one of them's like, we should have seen Blackenstein. It's like, nah, no, you would hate that too. You <laughs> could
2: skip that one for sure.
0: <laughs> but this is not actually a, a Dolomite movie. This is a biopic of Dolomite's creator, Rudy Ray Moore. Um, it starts with him kind of as a failed stand-up and a failed recording artist. He's like, tried his hat in different genres just he moved to la to become famous and none of his dreams particularly worked out until he starts hearing um these vagrants around his record store where he's earning a paycheck tell these stories about dolomite which is this like mythic figure kind of like like john henry or uh paul bunyan paul bunyan like that style of like american myth making but dolomite is like this pimp figure Who um is stronger and can fuck harder than anyone who's ever existed, um and it has like a rhythm to it. It's it's basically like pre-rap, jive. Like it's just like it's talking in a particular rhythm, and in rhyming fashion. Uh, these kind of like jokes that are basically dirty limericks, and he notices that these jokes are getting bigger laughs than his own original material, um even just like out in the open, not even in a stand-up context. So he. Does like an amalgamation of the Dolomite character. He dresses up in a pimp costume, complete with like a wig and an over the top tuxedo, and um, starts doing Dolomite as his character instead of his own persona on stage. He gets a little bit of attention selling party records, which are basically those like Red Fox style, like dirty stand up routines, and then um, eventually makes a movie, the movie Dolomite, which the movie cheats on a little bit. It's kind of a mashup of Dolomite and the human tornado. A lot of the best scenes that are filmed in this recreation are from the human tornado. Cause it is a better film. Like seriously, like one of the best exploitation films of all time.
2: Well, especially the sex scene where he, he fucks the,
0: house, fucks down, the house down. Yeah.
2: That's <laughs> iconic.
0: He's having sex and, uh, the entire structure of the building collapses under the <laughs> might of his thrusts. Um, <laughs> Very funny scene because as they're filming it, um everyone holds like dead silence for them to, to get it on camera. And, and then as they soon as they break. yell cut, they all break and start laughing. Cause it's very funny. Um I struggled with this a little bit at first. Like I think the first hour when he's figuring out what his new persona is and like what to do with it, I found a little generic. And I think it's nice to see Eddie Murphy like trying to act for the first time in a while. Like he really is like distinguishing his own like stock Eddie Murphy voice with the Dolomite character. And like when he flips the switch on and becomes Dolomite, it's like, Oh yeah, he's actually like doing it. He's like doing the impersonation Mm -hmm. and he's like really trying to act. And it's been a while since he's like put in a performance like that, but it felt kind of like content, like kind of when we were talking about like the father of the bride remake recently, it was just like made for TV.
2: What it's an, it's Netflix. Yeah.
0: It feels like Netflix.
2: Um, yeah, it's overlit in that way, and I I would agree. Watching it again, that hit me too in the the first part where he's figuring out the dolomite routine. Yeah. But I will say, when it kicks into him like making the movie, it really reminded me of like
0: Ed Wood, written by the same screenwriters. as
2: Screenwriter, yeah. And it really kicks into high gear in the last like forty five minutes to an hour. And I just I am personally a sucker for those kind of movies about filmmakers that are or artists that are just struggling and getting it done by whatever means necessary.
0: And, uh, yeah, the second half of the movie is really delightful. And to that's, me. that's what won me over too. like the scrappy DIY filmmaking where they're like shooting in an abandoned warehouse where they have to like steal electricity. Uh, they have to like steal shots on the streets. He's not as skilled of a martial artist as he is in his head. So like, them doing the recreations of Rudy Ray Moore's like half-assed karate chops, and then like the stunt actor jumps a second later. Uh there's like a distinct lag between the hit and the reaction. Very funny stuff. Um Wesley Snipes playing the director of the Dolomite movie. Fucking hilarious. hilarious that yeah. performance is so funny all throughout. Um so once it got in the swing of them making the film, yeah, I was just like reminded of what. We appreciate here as a podcast, you know, we talk a lot about low budget genre filmmaking, but it's not from that like I can't believe someone made this. What is this? It's such a joke. How goofy is it that these people think they're making something good and it's so bad. Like we're not we're not laughing at it the way that people go laugh at like Tommy Wiseau's the Room every month at the Britannia.
2: No, I I admi- I deeply admire and respect you know, this made me respect Dolomite Rudy Ray more and more after watching. And it actually got me a little sentimental towards the end too. Like when he does achieve his dream and they go to the red carpet at the end. Yeah.
0: Which is the same ending as Ed Wood as well. It's like Mm -hmm. what if no one shows up to the premiere and it turns out it's a packed house and everyone's like in love with the product.
1: so happy like that sort of payoff in the end where people are like loving it in the theater and like talking to each other and laughing and it's that humor that didn't really hit the screen before that like just existed within like the black community and then when he like sees everyone waiting and like i mean it looks like there were hundreds of people and he like hands a little boy his cane from his like dolmite character it's great it's so good yeah
0: so good it's a celebration of someone working outside of like the typical movie making system making something with basically his friends and whatever resources he could scrape together. Yeah. It's inspiring in the way that the best DIY like punk art is inspiring. It's like, it makes you want to go out and make a movie with your friends.
2: And well, and that, that is why I had picked it years ago as the top 10. It just like, I was so surprised at like a very Netflix feeling kind of movie could really capture that spirit. And, And it's a breezy fun watch. Like the music, Is great throughout, and it's got cool cameos.
0: Directed by Craig Brewer, who did Hustle and Flow. Yeah. Uh, Ruthie Carter, who's like an infamous Oscar-winning costume designer, uh, did the costumes for this. A lot of talented black people on screen, behind the camera, putting together this like love letter to Rudy Ray Moore. And it's very endearing. Yes. I guess my question is, at the end of it, I was like, what did I get out of that? That I wouldn't get just watching his movies instead. Like if I had just rewatched The Human Tornado and Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, like <laughs> That's a good one, would too. I have enjoyed myself more? Would I have gotten the same love of like low budget filmmaking from that? I don't know. To to me, it
2: was nice to see it in sort of a saccharine Netflix like with a nice little bow on it. Like it was taking that. Yeah, you could get it from just watching those films, but to see it in such a mainstream format kind of made me feel even more like, damn he made it like if Netflix is gonna make a like heartfelt I don't want to say generic but a feel good movie about your career, then like you really made it.
1: It felt like a Hall of Fame induction, yeah
2: ceremony. That's, a good, that's a very good way to put it, yeah, yeah.
1: canonized, yes, um also like. And we talked about, like, solid performance from, like, Eddie Murphy, which I think that's what... When this movie came out, I kind of put it on the back burner of, like, my watch list because I'm like, man, Eddie Murphy hasn't been doing, like, really cool stuff lately. Like, I don't know, like, what's, the, like, the most recent stuff before that? Like, Daddy Daycare?
0: I haven't seen that, but I, it's you been know at what least I mean? since the 80s or 90s since yeah, he's, like, Yeah, like, tried. past Nutty
1: Professor, I'm yeah. like, oh, this guy is, like, kind of a pain in the butt.
0: It was kind of like when we saw uh, Robert De Niro in... Um dirty grandpa were like he's trying you know like he's putting forth an effort
1: yeah it's (laughs) stuff like that but I, i didn't expect him to be like so like awesome at playing rudy ray moore yeah and he was he was so good at like playing like him plus dolmite but like keeping like the eddie murphy like that hint that like makes him so charming without being like super cheesy and like making it all about himself
2: well and also having a vulnerability to because he is like He's overweight. He's, you know, at the beginning of the film, he's like kind of a. he's balding. He's sort of a failure. He feels like his opportunity has passed him by. And then just that tenacity of like, no, I'm going to like, I'm not going to be a loser. Like my dad told me I was going to be like, I'm going to make something. I thought I I thought it was a really good performance. I
1: wouldn't have thought that Rudy or more like wouldn't have been like this insanely confident Individual, so that was like so eye opening. To make
0: it
2: right,
1: yeah, but like before he like went out where he's like, I've got like a beer gut, or like I don't have the same physique as um, oh what's his face, Lando, Star Wars, Billy D. Williams, Billy D. Williams. Williams, He like kept comparing his body to like Billy D. Williams and the
0: other black exploitation stars. Even like um, he goes to pitch himself to a director who's like, yeah, our stars are like Fred Williamson and uh, like basically NFL players who've retired and like now do action
1: movies.
0: Uh, and it's like, you're kind of a pudgy middle-aged man. Like, what what is there here?
2: I, and I, I did like seeing him work the business side of it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, going to theaters and hustling and, like, making deals about, yes. you know, you pay me a $500 to show your movie. But if you can get butts in the seat, you know, I, I like that aspect of it, too. But. I guess
0: that's where my, like, hipster contrarianism comes in a little bit, where it's, like, almost like stolen valor. Like, okay you have a dream that looks ridiculous to everyone else until you pull it off. So like Rudy Ray Moore was a joke to everyone as he's pitching himself all around Hollywood. Right. And then later when he makes it, it's like how wonderful it was that he pushed through, but like the people that would fund this movie to get made for Netflix are the exact kind of people that would have like shot down his pitches and made it look like a joke, you know? It's kind of weird, like it's just like a. I I get what you're saying, where it's like nice when like um like when John Waters gets like inducted like with an honorary Oscar or something. Yeah. But it's like this is someone who has been working against you for decades and despite you like made a mark on the culture.
1: And now they're good enough for you to make some money right, off of right. them.
0: It's kind of. I have like Whoa. a little bit of a reactionary like think about hipster that contrarianism when it comes to that.
2: I I, I tried. I I understand what you're saying, but I tried not to. See it through a cynical lens. Like I was just sort of swept along and just sort of
0: put that part of it out of my brain. And I think in general, Brittany naturally comes to this, I think. And you have been like working towards that lately where like y'all have a better appreciation of like mainstream filmmaking than I do. And I have to like work harder to like turn off the cynic part of my brain, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. When we started your biggest like. Things you were passionate about were stuff like the devils and possession and things that didn't have like legal distribution at the time, and like were these big outsider art provocateur pieces. And gradually, it's been like you guys have to see bridges over Madison County, right, or, or like
2: field, or like Field of Dreams right, right. is the shit. Oh
0: my God, yeah, no, that has been my kind of evolution.
2: The
1: evolution uh, to the two hundredth episode. <laughs>
0: And I guess Dolomite is my name is like a bridge between those two aesthetics. Like it 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 does celebrate the low budget, weirdo stuff that I feel like I still have a voracious appetite for, but it's kind of told through the means and the perspective of like modern mainstream filmmaking.
2: Yeah, but that's like I was saying in the beginning, just like opening yourself up to all types of, you know, mainstream stuff
0: and low budget outsider art stuff. I guess my one Piece of like counter advice to this movie is like, don't start with Dolomite if you're trying to get into Dolomite. The character and Rudy Raimi the artist Human Tornado, Human Tornado is, is a, a much better film.
1: And then was it P D Wechsler? P D is, is a great film, great
0: one. Dolomite's kind of like a shabby, you know, yeah, he's still figuring it out. At it's that like point. an approximation of movies that other people were making at the time. It's like his version of Shaft mm-hmm. and uh, the Mac and stuff like that, but it's not as good as those. He got even weirder the more he made his own stuff.
3: different kind of horror movie in that it was more an erotic tale and through the sort of normality of the scenes there was always this underlying danger and sexuality. Cult status always implies a sort of failure. I don't think this film uh, was a failure when it came out I think it was uh, you know quite a good hit and but it's a, you know, it's a really special horror movie. You know, it's it's in a very limited sort of um, group of movies. I, I wouldn't even know where to, maybe um, Rosemary's Baby or something like that, you know. It, of course, it's not intellectual like that. It's much more sensual.
1: So I think that... It, this must have been like years ago. You did an episode. I think Cece was on it. Yeah. Where y'all talked about Tampopo.
0: Cece used to co-host this podcast with me briefly. Yeah. She did not enjoy doing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she, all her episodes are fabulous. I though. loved it too. Yeah. yeah. And I think that y'all did that episode not that long after you let me borrow the ramen girl with Brittany Murphy.
0: Yes. So one of the last episodes um, that Cece did was this movie we're about to talk about yeah and then the first episode i recorded with you once you replaced her was like the rom-com okay. version of it starring britney murphy
1: wild yes so the movie that i picked is tampopo and the reason for that is i freaking love the ramen girl i adore that movie <laughs> i've watched it like multiple times since we've like we you initially introduced it to me and i remember being like Listening to the episode that you and Cece did, and like I have to see this freaking Tampopo show.
0: If you want to see like Our the movie. mainstream uh, vacation of like a uh, outsider art film, the Ramen Girl is such a strange, like middle of the road rom-com version of Tampopo. It, <laughs> really? It's so it's just weird that someone would make that in the first place, and it kind of works. It's Interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's
1: fabulous.
0: With Brittany Murphy. With huh? Britney Murphy. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um I just never got around to watching Tampopo and it's available like everywhere like it's all, it's been on hbo max for years it's been on the criterion channel for years and
0: when we first covered it it was not like that we had to get it through interlibrary loan and like oh it was before God. criterion restored it so, so um, probably
1: when that restoration happened it yeah. just hit a bunch of shit yeah
0: and now you can watch it on criterion with like tons of extras and there's like a feature length making of documentary shot on set like
2: which it's... i did watch a couple of those and they are very
1: insightful
0: Ooh, that's great yeah we'll
2: talk about
1: um well shit i didn't see that I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: and we've also since watched a another movie from the same director a, a taxing, a taxing woman, woman yes which was very fun yeah
1: so tampopo is from like mid 80s like 1985 and the director i'm a i don't really butcher the name but it's like is it yuzo atami yeah awesome
0: i'm the authority on how to pronounce japanese words (laughs) (laughs)
1: well i am not
0: shaking my head (laughs) over.
1: and it's this fabulous film about a a woman who is running a ramen shop in an area where there's quite a few ramen shops and hers is very subpar and there are two truckers who are like driving and reading a book about how amazing ramen is. And then they get like the, on the bayou, we call it the envy when you want something real bad, like a food or something. They get the envy for some ramen and they stop and then they're like, okay, like her noodle water isn't boiling. She's not cutting the pork right. There's a whole bunch of shit wrong. And she's like, She wants it to work so bad. She's like widowed. She's raising her son by herself. And she like sort of begs them like, please, like be my like sensei to help me get my ramen right. So like I can do this ramen shop and it's going to be awesome. And they go through this, all these processes of being like, okay, this is, we have to figure out how to make the perfect noodle. Or we have to figure out how to make the perfect broth. And how to combine all of this together and make this, like, awesome bowl of ramen that's going to help. And and her name is Tampopo, right? Which is, like, dandelion, the in- English translation of it, which I thought was so sweet. Yeah. But, like, the whole movie is so sweet. And, like, it's a feel-good film. Like, I smiled the entire time. And I love how it, like, um really exhibits food. And it's a, it's such a good foodie movie. Um, and there's layers of, like, vignettes throughout this whole story of her making that perfect bowl of ramen through, like, the sort of the main truck driver, the older one. I, I for- totally forgot his name, but he's sort of, like, driving her. Goro. Yeah. He's
2: like the cowboy. Yeah, he's,
0: he's a like John Wayne yes. figure. And he literally
2: has Queen cowboy hat. But, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, like, the layered of bizarre vignettes that are all food-focused are amazing. Like, there's one where there's this couple who are like horny for food and they mm. like incorporate food into like their romance
0: the filthiest on-screen sexual imagery oh. i've ever seen even though i think the nudity is pretty minimal but like they're just like passing just the, the egg yolk, it, the egg yolk oh, and from mouth it, to mouth
1: and it bust at the end uh, and it's like money it's, shot yeah <laughs> and
0: then there's like He puts like a a live fish on her belly in this upside down glass bowl. And you watch it like flip around and like excite her stomach.
1: It's insane. Filthy. (laughs) And it's like everything around is like just everything is white and crisp and clean. And then there's like this food that you're like, oh, God, it's about to stain everything. And then there's one where there's this etiquette course in a restaurant where it's like, here's how to eat spaghetti while being silent and proper. And then there's this like slob of a man who's just like going to town on his spaghetti (laughs) and they all start like doing what he's doing.
0: I think that one's like a cultural mind fuck, right? Because like the way you're supposed to eat ramen to show you appreciate it is slurping Slurping, and making noise. Right. And they're supposed to learn to not do that. But he's like a British man on their territory (laughs) trying to... You know, Eating Italian
1: cuisine. <laughs>
0: do their version of, like, eating uh, respectfully. You can't do it. And he, like, ruins it because by him slurping, they can't help but slurp by right. listening to him. And yes. it kind of, like, becomes infectious.
1: <laughs> so, real funny stuff, right? Like, that and then the woman who, like is dying but her last thing is she just wants to make oh, like a good sad. meal for her family I mean, I say, talk about
2: the woman touching all the food yeah just in jamming <laughs> her thumb into like fresh i plums. like
1: had like great aunts that would do that shit at fucking like rouses <laughs> where it's like go around and like poke everything and make sure it's soft but like fuck it up for the next person and wow. like not buy it just because you could this woman's like the biggest deviant i think and like she was probably a little more crazy than the egg yolk couple i think
0: that's like a britney character
1: yeah i was very into the closest crazy we get Bitty. to psycho
0: Betty <laughs> territory
1: you're right psycho this movie <laughs> but yeah like there was just all these like beautiful like the sto- the core story was great and of course watching like the ramen girl before this i'm like oh my god like i love these movies of like Are there any other, like, let me show you how to make ramen right movies? Because (laughs) I'm I'm very invested in it.
0: There's that French movie coming out soon called Pot I think. uh, That's like a romance about the joy of cooking. And it's supposed to be very sensual, where like people are falling in love while their like hands are like kneading out like dough for noodles and stuff.
1: Okay. I obviously need to see this. But just everything about it, there were these beautiful moments like there's one that i loved so much when they found like this like ramen sensei who was like living in this like homeless camp and the son of the woman who's like trying to make the perfect bowl of ramen is like i want a rice omelet and then there's this cool charlie chaplin moment where one of the guys from the camp brings the kid into the kitchen and there's (laughs) it's silence just like music and they're like sneaking and trying to make this amazing like perfect omelet like rice mm-hmm. omelet which looked fantastic but it's just like very cute and like charming the way it happens and they like sneak out the door with like a, sh- a full ass plate of this like gourmet looking dish yeah there was like a lot of cool like it felt like old Hollywood even though it wasn't old Hollywood like throughout this whole movie
0: yeah I think the joke of it like conceptually is that it's a ramen western instead of a spaghetti western yes so, I, like, I see that it's kind of like um you know spaghetti westerns were Aping old Hollywood Westerns on a, like um an Italian shoestring budget. Yeah. This is doing the same thing, but you know, in a Japanese
1: budget. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah, I loved it, adored it. We'll watch it. We'll watch the um extended version on Criterion Channel with all the cool special features. I'm yeah, a fan.
2: I, I don't know. Watching it again, I've only I saw it once before. I think the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, delightful. The vignette, the structure of it, was kind of lost on me a little bit. A little overwhelming the first watch, yeah. But watching it again, I was like, like the structure of this film is everything. Like it is like a side dish, you know? what I mean, it's like ah, it's you've got course. your main course, and then you've got your little side dish here, your side dish there, and they all accentuate. Or it's the like main a bowl story. of ramen, where it's or like a bowl of ramen. It's
0: one giant gestalt, where like. Each individual piece is lovingly mm. made separately, but all of them together are like you know it all comes together into a new weird. Oh my thing. god! Yeah, Holy
2: shit. no, and it, that and it, I kind of I saw that in the special features. There was a video essay about oh, really, <laughs> yeah. But no, I was singing that while I was watching, it was like oh, they all kind of interplay with each other. And but the thing that got me really kind of emotional towards the end of the film was like thinking about our podcast and like. In this movie, there's this kind of distinction between the professionals who do this for like money and do it for a living and people that are just passionate about ramen. Mm -hmm. And you have all these people throughout the movie who just kind of like have strong opinions and are very thoughtful and just love food and, you know, not necessarily doing it for money. And that got me thinking about the podcast. Like, why do we still do this (laughs) 10 years in, we're not making money. No. Right. What is like, what is the purpose of this? And I've struggled with that, like a decade of doing it. And I think the answer to that is in this film, we do it because we love movies. We love to create community around movies. And we do have like strong opinions and it does add value to our life in the same way that a lot of the characters in this film aren't professional ramen chefs, Mm -hmm. but they like have taste and they care about it. And like that in a way is sometimes better than the professionals that do it just for money. And Tom Popo is this like beautiful character who just wants to learn the craft of ramen and is willing to kind of get this gang of people together who have good taste. And she's just like a craftsman that is going to work tirelessly to make the perfect bowl of ramen. And there's something that I like when she finally watches them eating and enjoying that perfect bowl and she gets like teary eyed, like I got teary eyed. like So that craftsmanship and the amateur quality of enjoying something just to enjoy it made me realize why we do this
0: podcast. And I don't think that's that, separate from what the movie's doing. Like, I don't think that's like even extra textual because the movie starts in a movie theater. Right. And this like gangster is like this, like cinephile. This is the guy who loves to like bring food into the bedroom.
1: The yoke man. He
0: like confronts the audience. He's like, what are you eating while you watch this movie? I don't want to hear a peep out of you. I just want to like watch the film uninterrupted. Meanwhile, he has like a feast laid out for him.
2: (laughs) And the way a lot of it is shot is just at kind of eye level. They're looking at you. You were right. part of this process, like
0: yeah. So like the movie's kind of about movie making in a way. After I think that so. framing part, where it's like putting the film together out of these little pieces. Parts are like mm-hmm. putting together the perfect bowl of ramen. So I don't even think you're like reading past the text there. Like it, no, it, I don't. It's supposed to be like inspiring about like the communal process of like making something great together, whether it's ramen or a film or. A movie podcast which did not exist in the 80s but you know
2: but and i do think those vignettes are like sort of the outsider art stuff you know the woman touching the the fruits and the sex stuff with the egg it's like they're doing food stuff but it's outside of the norm and like i love the scene with the guy who's very he's like a foodie and he's with his business people and he's ordering like like, fancy <laughs> champagne and they, they're they getting all, you know, flustered.
1: They all get, like, that one cut of fish and, like, soosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a Heineken or something. But the something. film
2: seems <laughs> to be celebrating those outsiders who, like, are, like, kind of like the women slurping the noodles. Like, yeah. like we're not going to do what the system tells us to do. Like, we're going to be outsiders and just create our own art. Yeah, so I... All that stuff was sort of lost on me the first time I had watched it and watching it again. It was sort of swelling up. Uh, I, I really think it's a beautiful movie, not just about food on a surface, but yeah, yeah. like you said, about art and filmmaking and uh, creating communities. It's a, bu- it's a beautiful movie. I think
0: it's very clearly like one of the best crafted comedies of all time, just like on an artistic level. Mm-hmm. It's not one of the funniest comedies of all time. It's not like. A laugh a second, laugh riot, slap your knee. Everything is uproariously funny. It's like funny in a very charming way that only gets warmer and warmer the more you watch it. You just love all these people and you love watching them work together. Kind of like in Dolomite is my name. Like watching them build to this project and when it pays off at the end, yeah, yeah it just feels good.
2: I and I did think of a lot about the intersection with this yeah. and in Dolomite. Yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I didn't even think about that. <gasps> Tampopo like herself though, like her. Um, her facial expressions and like her mannerisms. Like, I love this woman so much.
0: I want to say she was also a taxing woman. She was, because like, she she's inspector. the director's wife. wife. Yeah. Yeah. And their son is the child uh, in the movie as well.
1: Fabulous little child actor. Wow. Um. Yeah. Tampopa runs deep. And <laughs> I'm glad you said all of that, James, because I'm like, there's something that like I'm catching on to this, but I just couldn't verbalize it. And it's this idea of, Just enjoy. Like, there's something about the enjoyment of shit. Like, enjoy your food. Who gives a fuck what you look like when you're eating it or, and appreciate it in that way. Like, your appreciation for something is showing how you like it. It's kind of what we do, right? We're not like, you know, pristine critics. We just like watch movies because we like watching movies. Yeah. And we talk about them because we like talking about how we felt when we watch these movies we like to watch.
2: But we are like thoughtful yeah observe i think i hope so hopefully i don't like
1: respectful of it like yeah like we don't i don't know i don't think we he, really shit i on like stuff. I, <laughs> maybe
2: like even in the movie there's that like sensei guy who's teaching a- about how to eat the perfect bowl of ramen yeah and like yeah i think he is sort of full of shit a little bit where he's like talk to the pork <laughs> you know uh, Slap apologize. Lightly
0: on the side of the bowl.
2: Three times. I didn't I, know I, that. I feel like that was a little bit of like, you know, take it seriously, but don't take it too seriously. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so I like to think that that's what we do.
1: Um, I want to try ramen after watching this and doing all yeah, the fun tricks they very... were saying. Like, holy crap. I didn't think about it. Like where everything's positioned.
0: We still have like a really nice ramen shop. In yeah. Here. I don't know if it's still going.
1: Um, there's two on magazine street union ramen. It's not the greatest, but there's like that Nomia. Nomiya. Okay. They're very good. Right. And they moved where Fuego used to be. So they have a bigger space now.
0: A lot of places are closing so fast right now that I don't even know how to catch up. Keep up. up. Yeah. But
1: yeah, that other place is that Nomia. Like, I don't know if I'm probably pronouncing that right, but it's very good.
3: Hmm.
0: If we were smart, <laughs> we would have a clearer concept for this podcast. And like the one gimmick we really have is that we're all living in New Orleans like the the local specificity is like the one angle we have that other movie podcasts don't.
1: Oh. Um
0: so maybe the next movie if we were like actually leaning into what makes us special, <laughs> we would cover stuff like that all the time, but we just watch movies that we feel like watching.
2: <laughs> I mean, but the next movie we are going to talk about is set in
0: New Orleans. I'll put it I'll put it down now, my very favorite movie set in the city.
1: Same. It's like one of the most New Orleansy movies I've ever seen, like F you, Pelican Brief. Like it is, oh, pe- it yeah, is this yeah. one.
0: It's a little sleazy. It's a little cheesy. It's perfect.
1: Perfect. <laughs>
0: perfect. <laughs> perfect. With three R's. <laughs>
2: uh, so the film I picked that um, I think I'm the only like Paul Schrader fan on this podcast.
0: I, You've won me over. I mean, I like this movie a lot and hardcore. When we watched that, I was fully in love with.
2: I I think what's changed for me is like. I think first reformed was at the top of my list a few years ago. And I was, when I first got into Paul Schrader, it was very much his like man in a room kind of thing. Like these very troubled philosophical men who do acts of violence to redeem themselves. And that goes back to like him writing taxi driver, you know, hardcore first reform. And there's this really strong, Religiosity.
0: The new ones like that too, right? Master Gardener. Master
2: Gardener, which I have not seen.
1: Oh, I saw it. Did you like it? Yeah, actually, my brother's obsessed with Paul Schrader, that makes and sense. he got the DVD when it, the minute it came out. Let me borrow it. He's a
0: young man's director, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: he's. he's a, I liked it a lot. Yeah, he's
2: for troubled young. Men who, yeah. to, who maybe went to Catholic high school that have feelings of shame. Oh, and, I could see it. Yeah. And
0: guilt. That's what I appreciate about him is like how horny he is and how bad he feels about that. Like, right. And I do think cat, <laughs> seriously.
2: Yeah. And I do think cat people is a good example of that. And it's one of his that I like have been wanting to see for a long time. I think y'all talked y'all talked about a long time ago. Yeah. Or years ago.
1: Who was on the Cat People episode? I wasn't. It was. Just- did y'all
0: talk about the original, too? Oh, so yeah, this was an episode that only I was on. Um, Our friend Peter from We Love to Watch oh. did a conversation about the original Cat People from the 40s, its own sequel. I think it was Curse of the Cat People. Uh-huh. And then also this, this Paul Schrader remake from the early 80s. So, like, yeah, no one else had a chance to really get in there because sometimes we do have guests. It's pretty rare.
2: Yeah, which I feel like I didn't quite do my homework because I didn't watch the original, but I had also read that Paul Schrader said it wasn't really. He's a little full of shit. Into- well, of course, <laughs> you know, he's Paul Schrader, yeah, but yeah. I didn't feel the
0: need to watch the original. In the, there like, are full scenes and shots and like I know moments there's some in this homages, like, like the mimic, swimming pool the original, scene yeah. and
2: some other stuff, but this is Paul Schrader at his. I don't want to say it's not his like artsy, fartsy stuff, but it's his like low rent kind of erotic thriller level, which, you know, I put this in the same thing as like American gigolo, which he did. And a much worse version is like the canyons with Lindsay Lohan that we watched <laughs> recently that I actually enjoyed, but is very bad. <laughs> um And so, you know, the story is this young woman who grew up in a circus, but she's an orphan goes to visit her brother in New Orleans uh, and slowly comes to realize that they're part of a cursed lineage of people, cat people, who, after having sex, turn into
0: uh, leopards. Leopards?
2: Black leopards. There's
1: different cats in the movie that they, like, dyed black. They dyed cougars black because leopards are hard to train. Right.
2: Yeah, and and after having sex, they have to devour... The per- they have to kill someone to turn back into human form.
0: And I will say that transformation, I kind of misremembered it being like a ripoff of American Werewolf in London a little bit, like that Rick Baker style of transformation. Especially but the
1: hands. The way
0: it does it here is very different. Like the cat emerges from inside the human body and like breaks the yeah, flesh breaks away. Yeah, breaks through. Yeah, I thought it was
2: pretty gnarly.
0: Vice versa. Like yeah. the human body comes out of the cat body sometimes. Fucking cool. Yeah, that very was a strange. cool transformation.
2: Yeah. But she... um falls in love with uh, this zoologist working at Audubon Zoo, played by John Hurd. And I do have to say the main actress, Natasha... um, Kinski. Kinski, who is the daughter of Klaus Kinski, the very infamous German actor who worked with Werner Herzog on a few films. I was like, when I saw her, I was like, that mouth looks... Familiar, and then when I saw, you know, he was not mouth. good to
0: his family either. So that was no, a he was childhood. a bad man. But yeah. she, she is
2: stunning, and she's beautiful, and she kind of falls for John Heard. And you know, there's a long stretch of the film is her, like, man, I really want to screw. Like, I'm a virgin. I'm hot. I'm horny. I'm into this guy. I'm in love with him. But I'm I know, in the
0: sleaziest city in the world. You know?
2: Yeah, and <laughs> it, and you know the it does really use new Orleans to like it's hottest and sweatiest Uh, you know, they're down in the Bayou for some sex scenes, but she's wrestling with like, man, I really want to get laid, but I know if I get laid, it's going to do damage and harm. And she kind of wrestles with that throughout the movie while she's being stalked by her incestuous brother uh, played by Malcolm McDowell, who does, you know, chew up the scenery
0: And it's, it's compulsive incest, right? Like the only way they can avoid killing people is by having sex with their siblings, which is a pet theme of this podcast by mistake.
1: Right. Here it is again.
0: We watch a lot of transgressive movies and that's a place that transgressive filmmakers go all the time because it icks everyone out instantly. So we talk about incest way more than we probably should. It's not on purpose. And I I did, (laughs) I did like the Malcolm McDowell angle, but I'm
2: glad that about with a third of the movie left, it sort of gets resolved And then it becomes about her self-empowerment of like, no, I want to get laid and I'm willing to murder to do it. And that's when the film really, to me, shifts from like sort of a above average, kind of erotic thriller to something kind of special. And I ended up really, really enjoying this. You know, I've seen quite a few Schraders and I, I think it's a pretty special one. I'd put it up there with like hardcore and I mean, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters is probably my favorite, but that's his, at his most, like, artsy. Yeah. But this is a really good, almost proto, it feels 90s. I was shocked that this came out in 82. It does feel 90s. feels like it should have been on Cinemax in the early 90s.
0: Yeah, this is from the same wave where they gave filmmakers money to, like, remake RKO pictures. So, like, the thing was from the same studio, like, okay, remake this, like, 50s B-picture, with like today's technology. So yeah, it is like a trendsetter almost. Like the I feel like the rest of the eighties had so many like throwbacks to the sci fi and horror pictures mm-hmm. that people grew up watching.
2: And also the score it's very
0: driving, Georgia like, Marauder.
2: Yeah, driving like pulsating eighties synth and that wonderful drum machine. like
1: David Bowie song, the David Bowie "Gasoline." Fire. <laughs> yeah, with gasoline,
0: coked out Bowie to the max.
1: Such a great <laughs> song that goes so well. Like the way they drag it out in that intro, those like little beats. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I, that like bizarre deserty scene. Ugh. I
2: did. I didn't think it was like particularly sexy or particularly scary. Really, it was just atmospheric and cool and really fell ahead ahead of its time for uh, a lot of the movies we enjoyed from the late eighties, early nineties. And I do think it is a fun thematic, you know, entangled with a lot of stuff that Paul Schrader talks about in a lot of his other films with the, the shame of sex and being super horny and feeling bad about it. That comes up all the time in his films. And, uh, this was like a very fun version of that. So, I, yeah, I, again, another Schrader that I
0: really enjoy. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? But oh, it good. Just, it just ticks off so many of my boxes. Like, I really like when trashy B movie premises are treated with high gloss, high style filmmaking. Yes. Which is, I was singing too, we talked about in the preamble, The Silence of the
2: Lambs. Yeah. It's sort of that. It's like, b-movie erotic schlock but treated with the utmost sincerity a little bit you know
0: and then i'm also a sucker for movies where like someone knows that what makes them horny is eventually going to kill them or at least cause tons of violence but they give into that impulse anyway because it it makes them so horny like that is my (laughs) favorite (laughs) it adds into the trash layer yeah
1: that's that's wonderful right yeah
0: and i mean movies are kind of like erotic dreams anyway so like the erotic stuff in this opens it up to, I mean, at the time, a very MTV style of like surrealist imagery. So like when she sort of slips into her ancestral homeland in her mind, in this yeah. like very salmon colored desert, um, it turns into a music video for like minutes on end. It and it has this kind of like beautiful video. detached from reality, just like style for style sake filmmaking. And I, I love that stuff yeah. so much.
2: that That's when it shifted for, like I was saying, like, at that point, it's when it shifted. Like, oh, she's taking a bus. I can't. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm going away. And then she has that vision in her dream. She's like, nope, I'm heading right back. And that John Hurd zoologist guy, like, <laughs> he's the one for me.
1: My, has the Ottoman Zoo changed? Like, was that like, like I was trying to remember, like, my earliest memories of the Ottoman Zoo, I was like four. Was it ever like that?
0: No. Okay. And I thought that it was because this is like a... It's
1: horrible. Another
0: reason this is a like, personal favorite is because I first saw it in high school. Okay. Uh, so like, I don't know, just like sexy, scary monster movie. Like, yes. you know, that was like just taught me what to love about genre movies in general because I saw it so young. But also at the time, I thought that's what the Audubon Zoo was. Like, I just kind of bought it. That's not real. Oh, so like oh God. there are parts of the Audubon Zoo on the screen, but they're also matched up with matte paintings to make it look like the '40s movie. Okay. So in the '40s movie, the main character goes to the zoo to visit this panther that she's like related to, and has these like kind of lunches, like picnic lunches with the animal in its cage. And this movie tries to do, like, a visual homage to that by, like, retrofitting the Audubon Zoo to look horrible. It
1: looked like you go to the SPCA and, like, there are these dogs up for adoption on, like, cement slabs. And I'm like, it can't be that they put all this stuff, like, cages in, like, just cement, no grass.
0: Terrible PR for Audubon. Like, it makes them look like they were torturing animals. (laughs) Okay,
1: cool. Because I was watching it and, like, the entrance, I'm like, yeah, that's what the old entrance used to look like. Yeah. Okay.
0: No, it's like... Half of it was filmed here, half of it was matte paintings, and then once you actually get to the enclosures, that's all on a set in LA that they Oh created. my God. Also, another thing that blows my mind about this movie yeah. is that it gets the feel of New Orleans so accurate. Like yes. the house that they're in on Esplanade is like around the corner the from house. my house where we're sitting right now. Like it's pretty close to here and looks really similar to how it would be if you walked inside. The interior yeah. It's on a set in LA.
1: You're kidding me. That's
0: not like filmed in an actual New Orleans home. That blows my mind. It looks so real.
1: I thought it was real. I've always wanted... It, it might still be, but it was like a bed and breakfast for years. You can actually rent a room in it. And I, like, for years I wanted to do it to yeah. be like, oh my God, I'll be in that room where <laughs> she, like, jumped off the balcony. Yeah. Like a cat.
2: It, it was cool though, like, you know, obviously. <laughs> but they, maybe not. They have, like, Jackson Square, which is very recognized. But right. even a scene with, like, where they show the street names on the corner, I was like, oh yeah, I stood on that
0: corner it's, before.
2: Isn't and- that
1: where Bakery Bar is now? I believe you. Yeah. Cause it was like, yeah, I think it's... What I think the is.
0: geography of the movie is pretty accurate to real life, too. Like, yeah. usually people will scramble stuff up for convenience, but when she's, yes. like, going down to the corridor on the streetcar or whatever, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what that would look like. You yeah, know, like, it, it feels pretty accurate to the city. Yeah. Unnecessarily so. Like, it, it wouldn't change the entertainment value anyway whatsoever. Yeah, but just for me, it like,
2: and for us doing a, yeah. the Swamp Flicks podcast, like, I, I had some glee from recognizing some of the trademarks and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're getting the city
0: right. <laughs> One of the funny things is like uh, the original cat people has um, a famous scene where the jump scare is a bus. Like you think that a cat's about to attack her, but it's just a bus going by and here it's a street. Car. Yeah. They just switched out the street car. That's a fun um, like homage. You know, it's not, it's not strictly adapting the older film for the eighties. It's more of a freewheeling, yeah. Like taking inspiration from it and doing a new interpretation, which is the best way to do a remake. Like I would much rather this be the norm than like just recasting Willy Wonka with someone who's hot for the TikTok crowd. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I
1: am looking forward to that movie. That though. movie looks
0: awful, Brittany. Oh my god,
1: really? <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm excited.
0: I mean, okay, the director's previous movie was Paddington too, and I loved that. So I, I love Paddington too. I
1: think <laughs> Timothy Chalamet is fun. Every movie I've seen him in, I've, I've enjoyed him. It's suspicious that
0: it's a musical and they've hidden all the songs from the trailers. Have you That's se- never a good song. <laughs> have you
1: seen the comparison to him speaking and it's like Alyssa Edwards? No. They have the same accent. That's
0: so funny. <laughs> I don't know. I just love this movie. I have like nothing critical to say about it, even though yeah. it is like kind of lopsided and slow.
1: Man, I don't have one bad thing. The only thing that like I could potentially be critical of, but I freaking loved it, was how her brother has a British accent where there's like no rhyme or reason. Um, except that we know that he's like an Englishman.
0: I guess they're supposed to be like Romani type people who like don't have a homeland, so they travel because around. They are
2: traveling in the circus and yeah.
0: everything, all over the world. I guess so. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Maybe that's why I didn't pick up on that. I, I just mean, thought it was funny. If you
0: get a little too horny and kill a bunch of like locals, then you have to like pack up and move Send to a new city. them to New Orleans. Yeah.
2: I mean, my thing is like my you know if my criticism, like I said earlier, is that I don't think it's actually that. Sexy or erotic like I think Tom Popo is the more erotic film if we're talking yeah the egg stuff yeah I guess but like even just the shots of like her touching his underwear or like him looking at her bra in the bath like that to me is erotic some of the stuff in here is just sleazy
1: that's assorted
2: it's, uh, it's not that's yeah. my
1: version of erotic i think it's sleazy in it like her walking through like the swamp naked yeah like well, it's, connecting with her she's inner very cat attractive is, like, the hottest thing ever
0: also they had to like film that in very short bursts because they filmed it on slidell and uh <laughs> the mosquitoes were just eating everyone alive Oh are like i could not have her naked on set for more than like a second because it was just you know
1: there's something so like sex sexy about like you know, cats and like sort of feline, like you know, it's like sex kitten.
2: I don't know. It's cats like... cats and it's sexiness. It's and it's like I don't. But I, I don't didn't. Know fu- what you're I, I wasn't like really turn. Like I was like, wow, that's very. She's a very attractive woman walking naked through the marsh. You know, but I'm not like. It's not erotic. No, it's
0: it's more like raw, like the Julia Ducarnot movie. Like it's about like mm. her sexual hunger creating something monstrous and dangerous from within her yeah i wouldn't call raw like erotic in the sense that it makes me horny but it's erotic in the sense that the subject is erotic you know well yeah but the selling point at the time would have been like natasha kinski's naked for 20 percent of the movie
2: and she's again very very beautiful
0: right and uh paul schrader basically risked it all to like make a life with her and like ruined his life for a while (laughs) because she was like uh you know i'll have sex with you while you're my director but it's over now Uh, really uh, yeah i didn't know all that he he risked it all
1: Wow, damn
2: damn paul (laughs) but i i was i'm glad that y'all are coming around to paul schrader yeah I, i felt bad for a while i was like i really like this guy but i Especially when I talked about first reform, I want to
0: say I, both of y'all liked first reform yeah, a lot. I was I the stick in the butt on that one.
1: I liked it a lot when it came out. Yeah. I only he did card counter. Right, I, didn't like, I, didn't, I like didn't like card, card counter like that card much. Card.
2: He doesn't always hit, but I always find his stuff interesting. So he's a I filmmaker like that I follow. The
1: calmness of like his like more recent movies, not the calmness, but like just there's like a lot of space for thought. Like there's not like a shit ton of like back to back to back dialogue.
2: Yeah, it, I don't know. He like. He wrote a very influential book about the transcendental style, which, which we did
0: a whole episode on. We recently. did a whole
2: episode on, and I actually own that I bought that book recently. I've been reading it. But it's funny watching a film like this, like his style is not the transcendental style at all.
0: Well, he was a movie critic too, right? So like that was him watching other people's work and like coming yeah. up with like a lens to But like, it's just funny,
2: that. like he identified this particular style, but it's not his own. Um and I think Cappy was just a really it's a really fun watch that yeah. I think is like pretty ahead of its time and an interesting Paul Schrader you, when you look at his whole filmography.
1: It has the sexiest like movie poster too. Oh yeah. Where oh, it's got this that. cool font and it's like this red and it's like her and her green eyes and just like it looks like she like is jumping out of a pool or something. Yeah, it looks
0: like a porno.
1: But she's about to morph into a cat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it's like the type of movie that I want to champion when I Right, and podcast about movies. It's like, I think it's very easy to dismiss this supernatural, high style, quote unquote, style over substance material. And to me, it's like, this is the height of filmmaking and like what I am looking for in movies. So when you watch something like The Beast, (laughs) (laughs) movies like that, it's like the erotic nightmare side of like um, genre filmmaking, especially when so much care is put into the image what was the William Freaking one about the trees, the tree
1: cult, the Guardian, the, the Guardian. Guardian?
2: Yeah, it kind of remind, reminds <laughs> the me the of Druids. that a little bit.
0: The Druid trees, <laughs> they are yeah. a tree cult. Yeah, this is like the stuff that I would hope that we have a genuine appreciation for and aren't like so bad. It's good mockery of
2: no, and I, I would like to think to, like even though I really love the Mishima, you know, the more serious films yeah. that someone like Paul Schrader's put out, I can also appreciate. A genre film like this that's like elevated, yeah. Genre film that's
0: um, just a joy to watch. And we do both, right? We did a whole Ernst Lubitsch episode recently yeah, yeah. on top we of do. doing Mac and me, like right after. Yeah, you know? we do <laughs> yes. both. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're here for. Cinema. Yeah. If we were smart, we would have a Nolan's Y'all lens where like every episode was like New Orleans based movies and really get those search
1: engine We would uh, hate numbers ourselves. Up. Yeah, at it would the get so it. boring. Yeah.
2: <laughs> there's not there's not a whole lot to pick from though no. with New Orleans. We would watch
0: so many bad Katrina
2: dramas. We would
0: like
1: Yeah.
2: Burn out very quickly. I watched some movie recently, said New Orleans, where it was like there was like
0: a pandemic. Panic in the streets? Panic in the streets. So I watched that twenty twenty, mm-hmm. right before the COVID pandemic. Shit. In a theater it was a screening where they had pathologists from Tulane wow. giving a lecture on how disease spreads in communities. This was like months before COVID wow. happened. That's eerie. <laughs> I should have taken notes. <laughs> That's really eerie. Damn. That is a good New Orleans movie, an old-fashioned noir. What? It is, yeah. yeah. It uses the city Kazan. well.
1: One of the V.C. Andrews Ruby movies takes place. like There's a part where she goes to the French Quarter and this is like in the 50s and they filmed it in one of the, like, a scene in one of the galleries in the quarter, but, like, all of the, like, high-tech, like, the surveillance system, you can still see the keypad in the background, but it's supposed to be the 50s. I thought it was very funny. (laughs) So they did... A lot of, like, more modern movies don't do a good job of, like, capturing like the reality of like what new orleans is like these earlier movies like cat people or like the pelican brief or runaway drury like how they kind of capture it isn't the big easy and i love the big Big easy Easy. yeah Yeah.
0: that one's corny like the accents are all over the place
1: right but the like background and the the setting
0: the sleaziness is on point yes yeah (laughs) Well, coming to you for episode 300, our favorite New Orleans movies, so Ooh, stick around.
1: That'd be fun. Uh, Three, 300. 300.
3: just that. Yeah, <laughs> Shit. See these tears so blue. An ageless heart that can never mend. These tears can never dry. Judgment made can never bend. See these eyes so I can stay for a thousand years Just be still with me to wouldn't
0: believe what I've been.